Alrighty. Ready? Steady? Let's go. You're listening to episode 128 of G.I. Joburg. My name is Steven, and I'm joined by my team. Uh, the man formerly known as Paul. Paul. <laughs> and... Is, is your lady sitting this one out? Oh, Sorry, you Steven, like your first edit. Everybody? Okay, okay. Hi there, I'm Marika. Straight from um, archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> the German team raider. <laughs> And Kujo. And of course, for the smooth conversation fueled by Marquise Organic Energy, that's zero sugar, zero calories. I'm going to enjoy this conversation. That hashtag is Drink Marquee. It's a delightful beverage. And by the way, we need some sponsorship so Stephen can get a new computer. Kujo, <laughs> the soda show. <laughs> wow. Okay. We've sold out, have we? Oh, my goodness. No, we've cashed in. Let's keep it hip-hop. Support us on our <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> Buy our t-shirts. <laughs> and our energy drinks. Yes, and uh, the four of us are plunging into what looks to be a jam-packed agenda. But first, there's an important question we need to address. Where is Robert? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> members of this hobby... I'm sure you all can understand and appreciate oh so well that sometimes you just aren't feeling it. We go through a kind of a fashion of intensely loving our hobby and then a period where life takes over and we gotta do life stuff. I fear I've often been a bit heavy-handed in kind of pulling Rob back into the fold because I know and you, listening to this, know all too well exactly how much fun he has once he's on board. But it has sometimes been making a bit of a bully out of me. So, uh, for now, I am totally respecting his wishes to kind of step away from the hobby for a little bit. But the door is always on a revolve, and anytime he wants to jump back in, well, believe me, you'll be the first to know about it. And with the more morbid uh, side of proceedings done, uh, gentlemen, any news that we want to get our teeth into? So much news. So much cool stuff has happened in the last uh, 30 days since we last podcasted. Or it was not even 30 days. I think we podcasted two weeks ago. Wow. It has been insane for me. Um, and I'm really excited to announce uh, the show that I've been working on for Nickelodeon is officially a, is out. You can watch it now. If you're listening to this in America or Europe, you can check out Moosebox, um, a Nickelodeon show, the first Nickelodeon show to come out of South Africa. You can catch that on the Nicktoons app, I believe it is. Um, if you, you know, inside uh, or outside of Africa, and if you're in South Africa, you can also once again catch it on the Nicktoons app, as well as channel 308 on DSTV. That's the Nickelodeon channel. So just keep an eye open for, for Moosebox. They are two minute long shorts. They are very, very cool. I got to finally see the final edits or the final cuts at a South African Comic Con. More on that later uh, when we did the press launch for the show. And it was just really amazing to see it. Uh, you know, it's, it's very often that you work on a show and, you know, you think it's cool. And, you know, the, the, in, you know, the, the sort of in-team hype is very high. You know, everybody's like, yeah, this is so good. But uh, it's even cooler when you work on a show that has that in that sort of inner team hype and then you see the show and you're like 
wow, we worked on this. We made this. This is amazing. It's something I'm very proud of, uh, very proud of being a part of, should I say. And I think if you're a gamer or into any kind of pop culture, I think you'll appreciate the show's Easter eggs and little nods to, to pop culture. The jokes are designed for an older audience, but it flies really well with your kids. So check it out if you if you haven't already. Moose Box. Yeah, that, that's like the biggest news in terms of events. I met a German archaeologist <laughs> who's cringing right now as she's hearing me say that. She has absolutely no interest in toys or any of this stuff and thinks I'm crazy for being into it, but she kind of likes me, so... She digs your bone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, God, that was... Guys, welcome to Jaschoberg. Welcome to... Yeah. Um, And then, uh, which, by the way, I'm very happy about... I, I don't mean to seem understated. I'm just kind of trying to... I'm trying to play it cool in front of the lady here. You know what I mean? And then lastly, South Africa had its first South African Comic Con. So the Comic Con that many of our American listeners are familiar with, uh, namely San Diego Comic Con, Emerald Comic Con, New York Comic Con, etc. We now have that same brand of Comic Con here in South Africa. And it was a resounding success. It was a beautiful show, uh, really well put together, well set up in my opinion. Uh, many levels of goodness, of geeky goodness, if you into that kind of thing. I mean, that's why you're there, right? Cosplay was on point. Artist Alley was on point. Uh, some of the guests that visited us that I cared about was Ricardo Federici. Uh, he's a DC artist, a fantastic dude. Uh, he was at the show. Yeah, and there were some celebs and everything. But yeah, an awesome show, a great way to bring something, a new convention into the country. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. Sadly, nothing that I could buy there. There was nothing Joe. There was no Joe goodness there. But uh, I gave it a good look. I gave it a thorough, thorough examination to make sure that I didn't miss out on any GI Joe, and I didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's my. Um, you went to JoeCon this year, dude. I think uh, you've had your quota. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've, I went to JoeCon. That it's was quite amazing. a right to was... now go to a convention that doesn't happen to have any Joe worth buying. That, that's <laughs> yeah, that's okay. True. But uh, yeah, and that's me. Uh, Cujo, anything exciting happening on your side of the pond, bro? There is, but I wanted to bounce it to Stephen because mine will probably roll over into some other things. Um, Stephen, you are the elder statesman in your current onstage production. How's that going, brother? <laughs> wow, uh, going to need to unpack that one. Elder statesman, by that... I presume you mean I'm old? <laughs> Isn't that what you told me through text? Yeah, well, okay. Um, I, I've reached a stage in my career where uh, my resume reads a bit longer than most of the other performers. In fact, in this case, all of the other performers in, uh, in the production that I'm in. And that's an interesting watershed moment. It either means that everyone is super young and straight out of college, which isn't actually the case, or I'm just <laughs> the old codger in the in the um, in the crew in the cast. I I guess it means that uh, I'm no longer a shit for brains whose opinion doesn't count for anything. That's great. <laughs> I'm so used to kind of like you know being the guy in the room who raises his hand, who you know finally plucks up the courage to have something to say, and. It just gets blank stares from everyone else because it's like, 
oh, idiot. Bet you didn't go to theater school. Um, which I didn't. <laughs> so, you know, it's taken a while to get that enormous chip off my shoulder. But I guess I've finally arrived. It's a good place to be in. Thanks, Cooch. Mm. Uh, totally out of left field there. Um, while I do have the mic, in case anyone's scratching their heads at this point, once we're done with uh, unpacking the news for y'all, we will launch into a awesome three-way helicopter battle as suggested by our buddy Bart Simon on the Facebook. The Maniac. <laughs> Indeed, from Pittsburgh. Oh, damn. The Steel Town Maniac. <laughs> um, hey, Yens. Yens. Followed immediately, hopefully, uh, by the most epic of our definitive sculpt sections yet to be discussed. It only took us two years to double back all the way to where it began. We started out with Storm Shadow. We now add the yin to the yang. Tonight. Technically the yang to the yin, but oh, hey, damn. he's keeping score. White and black, <laughs> black and white. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We need Mr. No problem, Esoteric e Eastern Almanac over there. It's time, guys. It's time we laid our definitive Snake Eyes versions on the table. And it is something that has racked me my entire life. Oh it all it all has has uh, culminated in this moment. We'll finish off with a little bit of nostalgia. Uh, the topic is our earliest GI Joe memory, and that's that's an interesting line of question. I mean, get thinking, listeners. What was your earliest discernible memory involving GI Joe? But before we do that, there's some latest breaking news that I, I hope uh, my man Curtis has a whole lot to say on. Mm. This is a weird subject, not the initial one, but what it'll lead into. But uh, I did attend not one convention, but two in our absence. Uh, the first one was Long Beach Comic Con, its 10th anniversary. It did have some names. Uh, maybe you've caught the file cards. Uh, you heard a couple. I'm still probing. Uh, I, actually, I think I'm done with it. And I think this will probably be the last time you hear me talk about it here in G.I. Joburg. But for over two years, I've been probing Comicsgate. Everybody knows what that word is. Hardly anybody knows what the hell's going on. Maybe I can clear that up. Outside looking in, do you guys have any thoughts or questions? The only thing I can add to that is that I've recently seen a post by Larry Homer. You know, I dig this guy. Um, he, he just basically said that he's uh, received a lot of threats regarding that, and uh, he's, he's ready for them, kind of. That was, that was just a summation of what he said. <laughs> it's quite funny, because he was all like, um, I'm Wasn't here. It was as simple as, like, if you are for Comicsgate, then I'm not for you goodbye that was one of them yeah that was the one that was really good and then the other one was he's going to attend some panel or uh, he's gonna attend some show and he's like if comic gates looking for me or something here i am you know so cool no well <laughs> i think that there's what you can learn a lot from comicscape uh about everything in our world um the reason why i'm saying that is look at the times we live in uh, cinema is now the, the platform for superheroes. Uh, they're on the screen. Our technology can keep up with that shit. It's mind-blowing, as you know. 
So what are comics? The other convention I attended was Zine Fest. If you don't know what a zine is, it's underground publication. It's just anything that maybe is too hot for regular literature or just creative. The energy AKA a fanzine kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. That the energy in that building was great. Let me talk about Comic Con. Inside the industry, they're all talking about when does the con bubble hit? Meaning when is there a glut of too many of these events? Uh, as as you know, or as you just said in South or South Africa, that was a hit. And I think yeah. festivals are kind of the more you see festivals That'll tell you something about our world, too. But to, to that point, I still enjoy all the different conventions. And Long Beach draws as diverse a crowd as any, as it should, because the city is. So Comicsgate. I, I've asked questions to nearly every pro I've talked to for two years. A lot of people front. Um, one person I talked to at... Uh, at Long Beach Comic Con, whose comic does have some heat on it right now, and, and when I say heat, I mean good and bad, I, I took a bad angle. I, I, I often do, because my intention is to find something true within you that I can convey to a person that would connect with you. It's never to, to make you look bad. If you look good, I look good. Get it? But I, I said, I said, what's, what, what's going on here? Like, why, why is this being, why is this comic being framed this way? And he was like, and, and he kind of like, he kind of like put up a wall, you know, with his body. And I was like, okay, I just said, you know, uh, respect, uh, I'll move along. Oh, I, it's worth mentioning that uh, usually I roll with a couple people at conventions because, you know, other people disarm. When you got somebody that's like six something, 200 something trying to ask an artist questions, it's, it can be a little intimidating. So anyway, it was it was an off and on weekend. I did get some great uh, conversations, uh, enjoy those. But Comicsgate, at its core, is a test. You've heard me say the word psyop, but that's just too basic for this. Test, test, test. It's minor leagues, but it's still our society. Uh, comics is the most expressive medium we have. You cannot tell good stories in cinema anymore. Uh, A24 is killing it, that kind of stuff. But the major cinema, cinemas aren't going to really let you. So comics, actually, we could talk about that one that Cabal's on, but I'll wait for that. I'll wait for that. Um, what I can see from the outside is it's a, a malicious marketing psyop. And guys, I am not a gotcha person. This shit weighs on me. Uh, and I burn my voice every time I talk about it. So... You're seeing me side on truth. Truth is more important to me in this era than network. But uh, if something goes on for two years and there's no resolution, then it's internal. Um, I'm not going to call out names. As I said, this is an era for making allies for me. But uh, let's talk about the person who's not the head, but is the head. And that's diversity in comics. I don't have anything bad to say, but I, I will profile you. This dude back in the day, uh, he's important to our society. I've mentioned him before. I'll mention him now. Albert Pike. If you don't know him, he's a Colt Bay Alpha. Uh, he's got a statue in D.C. Unfortunately, we didn't get to it. Uh, Confederate general from back in the day, but his statue will never be touched. He says 
in his book of Dogma and Morals, if they want a hero, we will supply him, which is very sexist, by the way, Albert. Am I right, ladies? But the point is, diversity in comics is to market comics. If, if you're getting triggered, then it's revealing something within you. So, so what, is, what, is, what is Comicsgate really about? There's only we two weapons in this life against you. Fear and shame. What are they shaming? Uh, okay, so they, they hit the buttons of transgender or gay, that representation. Of course they should be represented or represented. I live in a very diverse city. Probably one out of 10 cross-dresses in my city. That's, I'm not making a judgment right now. I'm telling you that what I know about the transgender movement, and that is they are intelligent. And, and here's why. They are deconstructing the very fabric of what society has given them or told them what they should be. I salute anybody on that journey, and it's not on me to give that journey context. Uh, I salute you. As far as anybody else, fuck putting up walls, guys. Lo love some people. Anyway, if, if the transgender thing is a shock, let me shock you a little bit more. Most of the most of the people in entertainment and in leadership in our world. Enough said. Beyond that, uh, I'll eat my words. I, I, I'm not perfect, guys. Uh, you can always hit me up in the tweets. Uh, I'm just telling you. I'm just a reporter. Do you guys have any questions about what I'm saying? <laughs> when are you going to talk about Michelle Feeb? Okay, let me transition out of this. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> hey, cutting choice of word, that. <laughs> Here's another thing. The, these guys in South Africa, they're not privy to the heat I throw here. These gentlemen have been amazing hosts to my outrageous words. They've been kind. They are incredible representatives of their country. Um, as you know, if you met them. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. I just went kind of bonkers, but we will dial it back. Look, something that I would add at this point, and, and it, 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 it might not make the final cuts because it is extremely controversial uh, point of view from yours truly, and I fully anticipate will turn fans of this show against me. <laughs> but... I'm a white male, heterosexual, if it even matters, uh, living in Southern Africa. I've seen the future of my demographic. You know, for hundreds of years, white men have ruled the world. We've had our say. We've had our time. Mm, you're, you're touching hot buttons, brother. You're touching hot buttons. Now it's time to shut the hell up and listen. You know, I see a lot of white male rage on YouTube, for instance, particularly around, you know, another property that was also dear to our hearts, that being Star Wars. And, like, very heated words being thrown around about the agenda that Star Wars apparently uh, is putting forward. And, like, oh, man, it's so destructive. But all this bleating, it's, it's, it's not helping, <laughs> you know? Okay, let me, let me rebut that so I don't leave you hanging. This is about identity. And if your identity is wobbly, then you're going to hang on to external history. Uh, it just so happens G.I. Joe, 
the harmonics are so strong that that people feel very uh, it's very important because it's it's national pride, it's identity, um, and 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 people can break however they want. I don't feel that way. I I don't aspire to see color, and I know this is going to sound like some kind of after school special. It's not about white. It's not about black. It's about recognizing that everybody has to work together. Okay, enough of that friggin' kumbaya stuff. Um, oh, to, to rap, <laughs> can, we, can we throw the agenda back at G.I. Joe? Please, please, please. Yes, please, please. yes, I'm headed there. Let's wrap, <laughs> let's wrap Comic Skate right quick. You know what? It's a tired narrative. Uh, there's tons of talent out there. I do my best to rep people. Um, I will continue to do that. Uh, let's point some people at a new book, which was just announced. Do you want to talk on that for a minute, Stephen? Some time back, friend of mine and listened to the show and future guest, in fact, Dave Cabal, sent me a box with uh, the three trade paperbacks that comprise the G.I. Joe, or sorry, Transformers versus G.I. Joe graphic novels. Included in that box were two other novels, the first and second parts of Michelle Fief's Copra. My initial reaction when I saw the title was, oh, it's perhaps a play on words. This is connected to Cobra somehow. Copra, Cobra. It was about a, a close-knit group of, uh, I suppose, the analogy can be drawn to Suicide Squad. A bunch of expendable, superhuman, or otherwise uh, elite uh, anti-heroes uh, who are recruited to do things that governments don't particularly want to and more virtuous superpowered people wouldn't want to either so yes very suicide squad-esque the author slash illustrator sort of auteur of this book has now been given is it a four-part series um i think i think you're right i just glanced at the article i'm actually not familiar with the person i had to do a google image search and it took like three pages to find an image so i know he's not out there too much socially he doesn't do pictures on the social media but uh cabal's really hot on his work obviously idw is hot enough on his work to have greenlit his series sierra muerte is the name of the book it's an intriguing title given we've heard the word sierra before but i think uh they're kind of doing comics in shorter bursts leading to trades because most people just wait on the trades, I think. I think that's where comics are headed is like more, more kind of concentrated bursts. Uh, I do think that uh, going in, it's uh, unlike uh, the past. I'm, I'm glad that people are framing this G.I. Joe uh, comic going in. So I think, uh, I think it'll end up being pretty popular. Um, I'm definitely interested in it. I, for one, am really hoping that Steve brings Copra up um, to Johannesburg when he comes up here to work on his uh, next amazing show, because uh, I'd really like to give it a read, because eagle-eyed viewers may have noticed it in our G.I. Joe uh, video, in our G.I. Joe documentary, um, but it is something that I'd be wanting to to give an eye to. And, and now with this kind of new announcement of Michelle... Uh, Fief going to um, do this new G.I. Joe book, which I'm going to be very honest, right when I saw it just sort of naked in front of me, I wasn't super, super like excited about it. And it's not the art style. I, I, I'm all done. You know, I like the art style for the G.I. Joe book. Uh, G.I. Joe book. G.I. How brainwashed am I? G.I. Joe versus Transformers and by Tom Scioli. Um, so I, I, I'm very open to the dynamic art style. So I'm 
But now that I've realized it's this guy who did Copra, I'm like 500 times more intrigued than I ever would have been. And and I think it's definitely worth checking out. And I think it's uh, kudos to IDW for giving uh, this dude a, a chance to to put his book in there. Maybe maybe one of the um, awesome you know members of GI Joe book might have a, a, a comic in IDW someday too. What a dream. Something that I was quite enamored with in the Copra miniseries or series that he independently put out there. I mean, like, this is a guy who, you know, in true rags to riches style, like, when he couldn't land a job at IDW after submitting, in fact, pages of G.I. Joe sequential arts, <laughs> because it was the one uh, property that IDW had that, that he was slightly familiar with. He's not the biggest G.I. Joe expert, by his own admission but he did take a crack at it and nothing came of that and that's what forced him into self-publishing copra i mean the rest is history but having read it the thing that struck me most immediately was the fact that he created a world that is somewhat of an iceberg you're only seeing the top 10 percent he's done all the research all the backstory and he treats the reader very maturely uh he, he's not going to hand you anything for free they're not going to be pages and pages of like narration or monologuing that you've never encountered these characters before but you're not going to get a ton of backstory each time a character is introduced i like the fact that, that there's a lot that a reader can extrapolate you know if you really pick up on hints of how characters interact how they speak to one another, how they're postured and brought into the world, you know, you really get a firm idea of who these people are without having it told to you in, you know, ham-fisted, overt ways. And that's something that really kind of, it rewards the reader because we're not idiots. We're comic book readers. We are discerning people. <laughs> it's not an 80s uh, animated series intro. It is the year 2088, and dinosaurs are men are having sex and creating <laughs> dino sex saucers. Dino saucers! Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> I would like to imagine he, he's going to not use a heavy-handed approach with G.I. Joe, but uh, glossing over the pages that have been included in the, the preview... Uh, because there is an article that has now got some preview pages up on the interwebs. Thank you, Dave Cabal, for bringing that to our attention. I think it is going to be kind of on the nose. You know, G.I. Joe, Cobra, all guns blazing. I'm a bit wary of that. The only thing that kind of pumped my brakes a little bit was uh, it appears they're using like the same five teammates again, at least as the mains. So I'm, I'm a little... Uh, but I, I will, I'll I'll pick the ball. He did recommend uh, G.I. Joe Transformers. I will recommend this to comic book people because I was talking to uh, a pro uh, at the con and I said, uh, have you ever thought of attaching a podcast to an issue? Like discussing that thing for the people after they read it. And some people do it, but I would recommend that to the copper guy if this finds you. Break out a podcast because that's what the readers are kind of missing is the context for your voice. And it is important in this age. Uh, people support people, not networks. So I, I would say uh, I'm I'm interested. The artwork uh, was kind of flat, to, but I think that's the artist telling you 
this is more about the, the words and not necessarily like the, the action, so to speak, even though the, the, the lines were dynamic um, from what I saw. Michelle, if you want to discuss your book with G.I. Joe Berg, we are all ears, buddy. Take a seat on my couch. <laughs> Before we get to Choppers, um, I, I did want to run, run by a little bit of Joe community. Uh, every once in a while, I catch something that, that's a good idea, so I want to share that. Uh, Plastic Battles, we drop his name all the time. He's been doing kind of like little on-the-spot Instagram uh, live streams. That's cool. Even if you only engage like a dozen people, chat up your following. They get a different flavor of you. I think it's a good idea. Um, and also Top Shelf, whom uh, I just watched, or I didn't just watch it, but when I was watching the uh, third chapter of your uh, Road to Jokon, that was very classy how you guys thanked everybody. Did you thank Top Shelf Rick? Because I don't remember if I heard his name or not. He donated through PayPal. So just in case we missed you, uh, this is my uh, wordy sword dance. Just imagine Paul doing kicks against a sunset. He donated yeah. 50. Thank you very much. Uh, you will get that T-shirt in due course. Cheers, brother. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, listen, while we're on that topic, wow, the T-shirts after Jokon have been a bit of a roller coaster. I actually thought we could just quickly get them done. Yeah, I just had to recover some fees, some money and stuff on my side. For starters, <laughs> if it's the last shirt you wear, we'll get it to you. But dude, yes. the most African thing you ever said to me was that the dude that was making the shirts was bitten by a snake in the face. Is that and accurate? That's what happened, and and the, that legit happened because I didn't use our normal printers because they need high volume uh, for me to to actually print through them. So I couldn't get just like four shirts done through them. And they were very nice last time for me to put on like additional volume and add it to the original and give me a discount for it, which was cool. But this time I couldn't do that. So I used my business partner who I do t-shirts with um, here in South Africa. I have a brand called The Norm alongside another dude. We also do reptile shirts and he's a, a, a snake enthusiast. He's He works for Cobra. huh? Anyway, yeah, he's spitting Cobra, which has been like an absolute darling its entire life. Decided to spit in his eyes the other day. So he couldn't go and collect my shirts first. So he was man down for like two weeks. <laughs> so I've got Amazing. them. I finally got the shirts. I'm just trying to get a shipping quote. Yeah, that's just been a bit tricky at the moment. I've just been phoning, but I need to actually go in. Uh, another thing that also hampered us was the postal strike, which has actually affected us quite badly, or at least on my side of the world. I'm starting to get mail that was sent in like June. <laughs> you, know, uh, I'm, you know, it's post dated for June. I'm starting to get stuff like that now. Um, and, um, yeah, they've just been insane. There's the, there's this whole financial scheme or something that the post office is doing. And every time you go to a post office, the same queue that you use to post things is the same queue. They're now issuing these cards out and they literally have got queues out of the door here. Um, it's, it's insane. And it's at my three closest post office branches. It's the same everywhere. They've actually put seats outside for people. So it's been insane, but I have got the t-shirts finally, and I can get them ready to send off. And I'm very excited because I'd like to get everything out of my off my plate and into your hands. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate your patience in this matter. To our t-shirt waiting t-shirt chat resolved. Okay, one last Ooh, bit. Sorry, I well, just uh, okay on that on that. I mean, this is just me exercising my pangs of guilt. If anyone out there listening to this was not adequately communicated with, I mean, we did send out emails to backers. Uh, asking for further information, t-shirt sizes, what design you wanted. 
we got back some responses, but some were question marks. Some, uh, I guess, I, I don't know. Maybe you didn't receive the e email. We were using the uh, the emails that were provided by the guys at GoFundMe. Yeah. Uh, so if you contributed to the fund, which put yourself on a tier that accrued some reward and didn't seem to get any follow-up uh, via email from us, please let us know. I yeah. it, it gives me sleepless nights to know that there might be people out there waiting definitely for a reward that might never come because there was some kind of miscommunication. <laughs> we needed a line of communication in order for these incentives to be rolled out. We couldn't just kind of, you know, okay, you donated your money and automatically bam, stuff will arrive in the mail. So there had to be some some questions asked immediately after that. If you did not receive any communiques and you're still waiting, please let us know. Uh, you can contact us uh, any number of ways. You can contact us through Facebook, through Twitter. The email address that I check regularly is a real South African hero, or one word, at gmail.com. And then just bear in mind that if you do get hold of us, you may have to wait because like I said, I can only do high volumes um, at times, so sometimes I have to go through different processes to get things done. So that's spitting just, snakes. And yeah, spitting snakes. No, <laughs> hopefully spitting snakes won't be a problem again. Because Stephen, that was very decent of you. Let Let me wrap yeah. up with a. Uh, since I mentioned Top Shelf, dude just had a wedding anniversary. Cheers. Uh, they were actually the only people that came up <laughs> and introduced themselves at JoeCon. Probably because nobody knew who I was, but but that was very decent of them. Uh, cheers, guys. Enjoy your evening. Um, last thing, Joe Fest is still shooting out feelers. Apparently, Sergeant Slaughter is going to be there. That means you should Ooh. be there, too. Uh, and maybe we'll all try and do this damn thing one more time. We'll see. <laughs> but Joe Fest, if you didn't know. Holding thumbs. As it stands, I have six weeks of downtime. It's the only downtime I have in 2019. And in that six weeks, Joe Fest actually takes place. So hopefully my schedule doesn't change. I'm all out. I'm all out. <laughs> then I think it's, it's time <laughs> to do Battle in the Skies. Are we going to strap into our willy birds? <laughs> yes, sir. We have three combatants entering the arena of... Arena of death. <laughs> what the fuck was that? It's phone. It's my phone. It's my phone doing, doing things. It, it was in sync, though. You should leave that. <laughs> in chronological order, we have 1983's fully armed Negator Gyrocopter, aka the Fang. 1986's Swampfire Helicopter, Dreadnought Swampfire Helicopter. And finally, we have 1990s G.I. Joe Locust. Swamp Fire and Locust are not acronyms. <laughs> yeah, they're just cool names. Swamp Fire sounds like the kind of a fart a hillbilly would have. <laughs> or alternatively, <laughs> an alien that Ben 10 can summon the powers of. Yeah. If you hit, a, if you hit a, a Google search for Swamp Fire, the first hit will not be a G.I. Joe vehicle. Outrageous. This topic comes to us from none other than Bart Simon, hot on the heels of our uh, G.I. Joe and Cobra armored debate, where the hiss went up against the equalizer, went up against the mauler, and <clears throat> the mauler won. I'm looking to repeat my success <laughs> tonight. 
Um, but it's uh, the, the odds are stacked against me because in this battle, I'll be representing the swamp fire. <laughs> Nelson love. <laughs> was that your chick? No, that was me going. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, like, oh N- Nelson writes from The Simpsons. Yeah. Sorry, this is a GI Joe podcast. We talk about GI Joe stuff. Yeah, no, but The Simpsons have been around for almost as long. Uh, in fact, longer. Anyways, dude, that was a neat segue for you introducing which of these helos you'll be representing. I'll be rocking the Locust with its awesome single propeller and dual uh, like tail ended turbine prop prop thing. And bomb dropping action and dual guns. I'll be representing the awesomest, the most awesome vehicle in this battle. Ah, uh-uh, I chose a winner. What did the winner choose me? And no surprises to know that my man Cujo repping Cobra all the way, dude. Had to do it. Mm-hmm. We realized that. Uh, Oh, I realized that uh, there is always some advantage to be gained from the environment in which these helos uh, are doing battle. So in order to decide, <laughs> and in keeping with the, the third theme, or the third topic of our uh, podcast this evening, that being definitive snake eyes, I have the 1985 Timber animal companion figure in my hands. If Timber should land on her left side... We're going to do battle in the desert. If Timber should land on her right side, we're going to do battle in the snow. And if Timber should land on her feet, we'll be in the swamps. So basically, we're not going to be doing battle in the swamps because the likelihood of Timber landing on her feet is, well, it's quite low, I imagine. Although, I stand to be corrected, stranger things have happened on the show. I feel like the Timber Toss needs a theme song. <laughs> Paul, Timber Toss. How many Timber times toss. have you tossed your 1985 Timber? Never, because I'm shit scared of doing that. <laughs> Buddy, in three tosses, each side has been represented. And I wasn't going to try it any more than that, because... Hairy palms and going blind and all that. Yeah, I don't want to create a, a technique, as it were. Right. So, what is it? Left side, desert. Right side, snow. And feet first will be the swamp. Goodness gracious me. Considering there's only one chopper with an enclosed cockpit. Yeah. (laughs) I know where your your favoritism lies there, Paul. Incidentally, (laughs) he did suggest the, the tundra. So, damn you, bastard. Anyways, you guys, are you guys ready for it? Timber toss. Timber toss. Everybody's ready toss, for the toss, toss. Toss, toss. I'm still trying to work out the jingle. <laughs> I, I think you've got it. I think you've got it. Okay, I'm actually going to throw her to the end of the apartment and see if my eyes can spot her that far away. Timber might be tripod. Oh my goodness, she's bounced behind a table. I can't see. <gasps> okay, be on the edges of your seats, gents. I'm going to go take a gander. Let's go out to the lobby. Oh my goodness, I really want to go again, but I can't. I'm bound by my own ethics. She landed on her right side. We are in a snowy tundra. <sighs> Say it ain't so. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, well, here we go. Um, let's crack this bad boy open by referencing my man Bart, who says, 
the following. The locust, and I'm not going to try and <laughs> and and copy his accent. Uh, it would be impossible for me. Oh, man, no. Actually, let me try. The locust is a small, fast, maneuverable. No, <laughs> that's not even <laughs> remotely like. That's him. actually pretty good. I got to say, that's pretty the close. Locust, the locust is small, fast, and maneuverable with some good firepower, but has bombs. It's lacking in the rockets camp. The Fang 2 is small, fast, and maneuverable. It has rockets and a bomb, so the rockets are a plus. Its drawback is that it just has the one cannon. The swamp fire is a bit bigger, but it's a boat and a chopper. It can hide under a tree in the water and then pop out, take the skies behind you and blast away. But that's all it has, with no rockets, he has to make up for everything with that huge motor and speed and keep on their butts. They can bank harder and faster, but he can catch back up easy. In the end, I have to go with the Fang. What he lacks in firepower, he makes up for with the rockets. The other two have to get in close to do damage. But the Fang can sit back and launch some rockets. <laughs> so ends my <laughs> bot impersonation. Uh, the only thing that was missing from that was uh, perhaps his signature humor. But he decided to play it straight in that post. <laughs> and his favoritism goes towards the Fang because of its armament. But... Hmm. And I don't want to um, do your work for you, Paul, but I believe, and this is laziness on the part of uh, the designers, but uh, the Locust is designed to have bombs and air-to-air missiles. Like the mounted ones are air-to-air missiles, and the ones inside the pod are bombs. Yeah, I... I, I would I, I I kind of want to call a bit of maybe a bit of a mulligan on that and just say that they just bombs because like for me it, it doesn't like if they were different missiles if they had different like shapes it would sell that idea better and I think our listeners would appreciate if we could respect that oh, give yourself a little bit of a handicap and also if you didn't do that I was preempting the fact that you might. Uh, uh, use them as missiles, and I'd quote you back to you because in our locust review, you had this to say about <laughs> the bombs, or the missiles. Two heat-seeking, low-noise air-to-air missiles. Though I prefer to see them as replacement ammo for the Bombay. So yeah, Paul, <laughs> you you have been consistent with yourself <laughs> from uh, I suppose two years back now. That's all. I'm glad to hear that because uh, I I can't be a bit scared of brain and you know quite loose in my not morals but loose in my sort of pants. standards of things. <laughs> yes, loose in my pants. Choose your words <laughs> carefully. Yeah, <laughs> Cooch, what have you got to say about the the Fang? Let's do this in chronological order. It's a 1983 original. She's first out of the yeah. gates. What's her strengths? What's her weaknesses? What's her strategy? All right, Bart, I got your back. Let's see, I am going to take an assist from HCC, who just reviewed this chopper, I think a couple weeks ago. And you should go watch that right now, obviously. He uh, he did point out a lot of the strengths. I think if we're in the cold, I don't... Most of my, like, chopper battles are probably from Airwolf. How long does a chopper battle usually last? I mean, they're, they, can, they can't take much the... small fire. Oh, no, they actually can. That's that's oh? the surprising thing. Choppers are built with uh, an alarming amount of redundancy. <laughs> I'm gonna call bullshit, dude. Choppers are frail as hell. No, but like, okay, maybe the Fang, because it's more of a gyrocopter. But helos are are designed to drop personnel and and extract personnel usually, and they're supposed to be air to ground, so they're used to taking a lot of ground fire. 
So they are uh, they are fairly redundant. I mean, they do pack a lot of redundancy. I okay. I am speaking foremost for the Apache, the AH64, which I know is very strong. And also, um, I watched a really interesting documentary on uh, the Hind. And uh, the Hind... <laughs> Paul, also... you're not flying a Hind and you're not flying an Apache. You are flying a tiny one-man bubble. My locust. This is what I can say about... Because they are like... Bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pull the ripcord, brother. Let me let me wrap the thing. Um, you've heard me sing the praises of the thing, but HCC pointed out something that is kind of maybe underrated. All the rivet work on the armor, it just brings visual interest to it. We got air-to-air missiles on the uh, treads or or the landing stuff. Um, yeah, it's a little it's a little cluttered down there, but I don't like people riding on my thing. It just throws the balance off. So I'll take the rockets. Um, it's going to have to be a short battle for me to make it through this because, uh, you know, it's going to get freaking cold, man. But I, I'm going to have the Hiss driver because uh, HCC pointed out that the Hiss driver is actually competent. He's rated on the thing. So at least I'll have a visor on. You know, that cold air won't dry my eyes out. I do like the stick. The stick makes you feel like you're you really like controlling stick, it. Well, oh, God, I stepped into that one. Um no, I think the stick adds kind of like an element of uh, just action. And, guys, it's hard to beat the nose gun. I mean, you just get so much, uh, you know, radius with it. So uh, the nose gun, if if the nose gun can be on point, if I can swing it around quick enough and get people on loops, maybe the fang. But ultimately, those rockets are just to kind of, you know, corral you. Like if I can if I can if I can trail you then I'll, I'll make you go into a certain path and then then just un- unload on you. But uh, I don't know, man. It's cold. I do have a bomb, so I'm gonna go out with a bang. That's all that matters, really. <laughs> Very good. There is some contradiction when it comes to the Fang's gun armament. Uh, the blueprints laughably call it an 85 millimeter cannon, unless I'm reading that wrong. 85 millimeters is gigantic. That's... Okay, a comparable uh, weapon. That's uh, bigger than a hit. The F-22 Raptor, or what, the F-15, carries a 20 millimeter Falcon cannon. Uh, (laughs) So 85 millimeter is like four times that size, which is, yeah, that's just, that's firing bricks. If they ever do reproduce this, maybe that if anybody of the if any of the designers are out there listening, throw a throw a gun on there that makes sense for it, or something that looks a bit. It's just the uh, the paraphernalia that gets it wrong. I mean, you should probably mm. uh, replace that with uh, twenty millimeter maximum. I mean, it's a very short barrel to twenty millimeter. If it is twenty millimeter, I would say it's probably closer to a nine nine millimeter repeating machine gun, if that. Anyways. The Order of Battle comic books state that it is a 20mm grenade launcher. But I'm going to assume that you wouldn't want that. So you're probably going with a a light, fast machine gun up front. That's too finite a hit. You'd have to, like, aim it, you know, lob it or some shit. No, bullets. And and this is the point that I, I kind of wanted to make up front, is that these three aircraft are attack aircraft. Whereas in our tank battle, tanks are designed to kill other tanks. 
Uh, here we have three combatants that are not specifically designed with aerial targets in mind. Even though, okay, the Fang, those are air-to-air -air rocket missiles, um, which is a contradiction in terms, really. Uh, but we have the blueprints to thank for that once again. And once again, with the, the Locust, uh, the two mounted missiles are in fact air-to-air -air missiles and not bombs, as far as the blueprints are concerned. But the primary function of these small attack craft is ground assault. Harass troops and take out vehicles. They are not designed to fight other helicopters. And yet here we are. It's going to be an improvised situation and there are no troops in any field of play that improvise better than the Dreadnoughts. They created the Thunder Machine for fuck's sakes. <laughs> the Swampfire is another improvised vehicle with attributes that no other G.I. Joe vehicle, save for the Chameleon Swampskier, and I suppose you could call the, uh, the, 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 the exclusive Dreadnought sets, but I'm going to leave those out of consideration because they are exclusive. No other vehicles possess in the classic line, and that is Chameleon Technology. Okay. Swampfire is clearly designed for a swamp environment, but adapting it to the tundra, it has, by at least my understanding, the ability to camouflage itself, the ability to adapt its color scheme uh, depending on its environment. So when parked on the ground, I'm going to say she's able to uh, adapt to, to uh, a white gray, brown, green color scheme and camouflage itself accordingly. Would you guys allow me that indulgence? I can see it. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, it's got very little going for it and I was actually about to say, what about the color change feature? And then you... <laughs> well, I wasn't going to ignore it, friends. She's also the only helicopter under consideration that has a transformation feature yes she can go into a boat mode which is useful in the swamp no doubt but why the hell couldn't she use it to skate over ice and snow yeah that makes sense kind of like a hydrofoil yep yep the swamp yeah. fire can ferry itself over land which is something that might prove very useful in this battle lastly she has a single armament which really cuts down on your options but also cuts down on your level of stress in a battlefield situation you have one very effective gun it is a 20 millimeter cannon perfect for taking out other aircraft it has range it has power it has large caliber bullets which uh, will make quick work if it has any direct hits on either of these two opponents. And the range is perfect for the fight, really. Uh, the cannon is mounted on a swivel that can actually probably arc 270 degrees. And something that the toy doesn't have, but I think once again, I pray for your indulgence, the cannon has a vertical swivel. Um to bring high-flying targets within range. My tactic? 
is to lie in wait. Because yeah, helicopters, say, helicopters yeah. are noisy things, and when painted against an otherwise open sky, I'll bring you bad boys down to size. <laughs> Fang doesn't have a sharp eye. Wait for you to make the first move, and then drill you. Because as I say, I can ferry myself across the ground, into water, out of water, wait for the most opportune moment to strike. And who, of course, is at the controls of my stick? Well, it's tough to imagine particularly competent pilots amongst the Dreadnoughts, but uh, because she is such an expert operative in all forms, it seems, she's almost unstoppable. Uh, and, of course, being a naturally gifted pilot would be kind of important for a master of disguise. I'm going to pick Serana. Serana? doesn't hurt that she also has chameleon ability. Color adaptive skin. (laughs) Not that she's going to be riding that thing naked, let me tell you. Not in that kind of temperature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Easy, fanboys. I know you wanted to find out if the uh, (laughs) curtains match the drapes, but... (laughs) I'm sure she's wearing a parka, right? Like the the movie? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know park she had park on, but... pink and poofy. And how are you guys both dealing with your um, your machines freezing up? Your your engines and stuff chugging up. Says the guy who suggested cold. this environment. Yeah, right. We should ask you that first. Well, I don't have that much of a problem because once I get going, I can keep going. But like, if you're going to be playing a stop-start tactic, it's going to be quite tricky for you because. You you might be fine the first two times, and then by the third time you might overheat. You know, from the engine trying to pull too much power, and then overheating because of the cold. And that's fun things I read about helicopters today. Anyway, <laughs> how mm. is it going to play out? Is is uh, is Serena like? Okay, wait, hold on. Let me let me try to set the scene here a little bit. Serena has done something. She's pissed off. Cobra, she's stolen something from from the Cobra from a Cobra Terradrome, a nearby Cobra Terradrome. She's got some serious intel, it's stuff that Cobra Commander does not want Zartan to know about, and then sends out um, any available units in the area to try and track her down. She has successfully managed to destroy all of the ground teams, let's just put it out there. And a lone fang is in pursuit of her. Uh, just nearby, G.I. Joe is running some reconnaissance missions, and a lonely Locust, uh, helmed by Lady J, no doubt, is flying a little bit uh, far from the tip of the arrow, or far from the tip of the spear. And uh, she sort of encounters these two heat signatures. Well, she encounters, uh, she sees a Fang helicopter and she engages. What are your next actions, guys? (laughs) I didn't know we were coordinating an attack here. Um, Well, you're not, because I'm not on your side, you're not on my side, you've been asked by Cobra Commander to go and stop Serana. So, well, know, I, I'm I'm probably going to look at the topography and know that I don't want this thing to go on too long. So I'm going to launch a bunch of ordnance behind you and force you into conflict with whoever might be on the ground. Okay. Um, well, I see that you start like blitzing at me, so I raise altitude. My locus pulls up a little bit higher, so I can also start getting a better field of view. Um, because I know that uh, for you, looking up is a little bit tricky. Um, and I and because Lady J has a very good understanding of, of the, the Fang helicopter, 
I'm going to try and stay above you as much as I can to try and goad you into shooting at me and hoping that somehow that cute little nose gun of yours clips your very long propellers. We gotta leave this cliffhanger though, right? So that so we can vote on it. Of course, but I mean, if you guys are going to engage one another, that's just gonna leave you both juicy targets for me to pick off. When suddenly Stephen does backstabber <laughs> something with these. Well, Zorana does have that strident screech. I think uh, Lady J is uh, not open to any kind of deal making because a she's a Joe and b she's in an enclosed bubble cockpit. But I'm pretty sure I'd be able to shout sufficiently uh, at uh, the his tank driver. I'll cut you a deal. Take out that Joe with me, and I'll share the secrets. Oh, I like secrets. No, I'm, uh, of course I'm in. But no, I, I like uh, I like how the tank battle went. Like where the the people decided. By the way, just I know we're well beyond it, but. Essentially, what happened to Paul's tank, he was, like, about to get in and the keys fell in the sand. That's, <laughs> that's about as much of an assault as we got from the vote there. But... <laughs> well, you're going to be teaming up with Sorana to go up against me because you know that that's the only way you're going to really, really, really win. Because Lady J... Paul, Paul's in a hurry to ignore what happened to the tank battle. He really thought the equalizer would fare better. But it's true. Uh, Kujo, did you realize that uh, on both Twitter and Facebook, the His Tank received 33% of the vote? I did not not see it. And I did hear it on the podcast. That was, oh, uh, okay. yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, let's not, it. we don't need to go there. That, that, that dude's always hanging around. <laughs> As you were, Paul. Uh, so, um, Lady J's trying to play it a little bit merciful and hoping that the fang will concede and sort of realize that it's outgunned and uh you know stop you know doing anything uh but i am about to unleash my massive guns on it and i've, and I've set it to go for an alternating fire so i'm not just shooting from one side so i'm going to be alternating my fire at it so i first shoot one or two like friendly warning shots at the the fang just to sort of wake it up and kind of tell it to go away hoping that it will buzz off. I'm still keeping a dominant at, uh, altitude. And the nice thing about it is that uh, Lady J has a pretty good range of motion in this thing. You know, unlike the Fang, that can't really see too much underneath itself. I'm not saying the Locust really can, but it's got that little bit, I suppose, makes a difference. It helps. It's there for a reason. It's on the Tomahawk as well. So I, I start raining a little bit of fire on you, Cooge. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to save my energy for the votes. <laughs> well, uh, okay, let me continue to paint the, the the scenario for him then. So Cujo, well, Cujo's fang is now firmly in your crosshairs. Is that is that what you're playing at? Paul? Yeah, I'm, I've just I've give, fired off a few warning shots just to get him to buzz off. I'm hoping that he values his life more than his allegiance to Cobra. But I, I'm not going to be so friendly on my next... Uh, trigger pull so. well Zorana realizes that she can no longer slink away that this battle does require her attention so even if she wasn't able to get through to the his tank driver um, before the battle proceeded upwards uh, she flips the switch the swamp fire transforms in a matter of seconds into helicopter mode and she's aloft 
clawing her way towards the battle. Oh! Yes. My friend or foe indicator in my in my helo is going me 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 because something is like there's unfriendly something near me. So of course she's in your blind spot because you got a whole lot of helicopter behind your head. That is she's, true. She's clawing her way up from below and behind. Of course she's able to tilt her gun and bring it to bear on your tailpipe. Does that mean that you're gonna start um? Like flicking off some lead at me. <laughs> if I haven't already. Okay, so you start uh, uh, the the telltale like hits my helo. Lady J is super confused, so she does the first the first evasive thing that she can do. So I'm trying to like, I can't think of the helicopter turn right now. But Paul, basically... are you telling me that the locust can withstand even one? 20 millimeter shell. I'm pretty sure it can take at least a few. I mean, it's Joe Speck, dude. You are on metric, buddy. You know how big 20 millimeters is. Yeah, 20 mils is it's big. I mean, but you know, the locust is still, you know, it, it's not like it's Joe Speck. It's not like it's made out of like paper mache yeah. here, dude. Well, you know? we can let the listeners decide. Plus, you're still climbing your rounds at me. You like you're you're still coming up. You're still coming upwards, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically using the helicopter to close the distance. I could have been shooting at both of you guys from, from the deck. I mean, I hope that somehow that I'm still trailing forward. I'm not just, like, sitting there, like, just completely stupid. I think we've know? given people fodder for the imagination. <laughs> they, can only, they can only decide in their minds. You see, if yeah. I was lucky and I knew that you were on the ground already... I would have tried to upset you by by dropping some bombs near you and trying to get that action to happen. Ah, but the duplicitous Zorana and her chameleon technology averted your eyes. It did, but now the only thing I can really start doing is evasive maneuvers. And I got to say, the Locust is a pretty nimble helo. Hmm. Hmm. Hopefully I'm not. Hopefully I'm not pulling too many G's. You here. do, you know, you do have blind point. spots. That's where you're going to get in trouble. Is if if you do raise an altitude, I can accelerate forward and then swing it around. I might I might black out, but if I can get behind you, you can't see that. All um, I need you to do is wave at me, man, and then your com- your operational capacity has been reduced to a no-handed pilot. Well, I. Uh-huh. I, I I, I understand. I understand. But yeah, th- these are these are all possibilities. So should we leave this up to our listeners? Should they decide who wins this battle? Uh, should we Definitely. let them decide like how the locust beats you guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just something I want to add in passing. Of these three helicopters, the only one that can get an accurate shot off to either side is the swamp fire. So if ever these helicopters were bearing down on one another neck and neck, and this could work very well as the like the the treachery shot, you know, the <laughs> the his tank driver manages well between the two of them, Saran and the his tank driver managed to dispatch Lady J. If um, they happen to be flying neck and neck back to a rendezvous point where Zorana can then share the secret information with the uh, said his tank driver. You know, they're kind of flying side by side because neither one trusts each other. But she can just swivel that cannon out to the side and blow him away. He 
can't bring any weapons to bear on her. That as, is very as, true. As, as we know, he doesn't even have a sidearm. <laughs> He's too fisting it. <laughs> he can't even do a, a biker scout trooper blaster shot. That would be nice, though. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. In that case, we will not sort this out amongst ourselves. Once again, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, the fate of these three helos is in your hands. Hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. We will put the poll up for five days, as per usual. I think that's the maximum Twitter allows in any case. So, five days from the release of this podcast. Check the date. If you're still within date, vote. And we can definitely check that with our metrics to to try and understand why we've had a sudden blossom in downloads. But we appreciate uh, that. I, I call bullshit. <laughs> Maybe. There's no way our download number can jump 2,000%. It just don't equate. Well, okay, I'm glad you brought that up, Kucho. Guys, we've recently had a ridiculous swelling in download numbers on Podbean. I call bullshit, but there's one way of possibly ascertaining whether or not we've been hacked by bots or not. If everyone listening to this were to, just for sake of argument, hop onto the Podbean app and download, okay, this is going to be an arbitrary number oh, selection, wow. download episode 69, episode 69, download that episode, you don't have to re-listen to it, I'm not necessarily... That's probably not our own. classiest showing, brother. Oh, it's it's pretty classy. No, 69. You can turn around no. from that one. So uh, here's here's what could be happening. So basically, one of our links bounced into another <laughs> network, and then they from there uh, started streaming it from a different service. That's what could have happened. Hmm. And like hmm. I said, I have. Um, we've recently been added to. Oh no! And and while I'm here, I mean, if you if they're listening. Uh, the Nexus uh, has added us to their database, which is part of a very, very big database in South Africa. I can't really talk about it too much yet until next week. Um, so by our next episode, I could probably get into a little bit more into a little bit more detail about it. But I know that we've been plugged into that network. Um, in fact, we were cherry picked. The guy actually asked me very nicely if he could do that. So, you, can't, you can't hide this kind of talent forever. I mean, damn. <laughs> well, it's awesome, but I don't believe it. Not for one jot. And while I'm hugely grateful for any kind of sharing or punting or any kind of growth that we've been shown or, or assisted on by our friends out there, it does not account for a, as I say, 2,000%, more than 2,000% yeah. increase in, in download traffic. That's Be prepared just... for success, Stephen. You, by the end of your life, you, you can't possibly believe where you would have gone. <laughs> but Listen, technically, all it took is for Chuck Norris to download one of our episodes just once for us to get those numbers. So, I mean, you know. Be prepared uh, maybe for success good runs counter to my philosophy of life, Curtis. Well, that's why we work so well together, brother. Perennially unprepared for the roller coaster that is life. Just well, you're an artist. Let it come at me, man. Thank you. you. You have to show the world truth. It's a big responsibility, brother. Oh, dear. 
I thought I was Uh-oh. just a, a song and dance man. I'm all jazz hands. I'm here to entertain children. <laughs> oh, you didn't get the memo? No, we're doing both. We're good at both. Oh, okay. And I produced this awesome show called G.I. Joe Berg. Oh, my hobby, my passion, my love. My bank account. <laughs> Do we have any energy for a Snake Eyes? Oh, come on. We can't hype it up front and not do it. That's true. It's got to be that done. That is very true. It's going to happen. I need to I need to release the pressure that this topic has generated inside me. <laughs> you got some, like, definitive Snake Eyes blue balls there, basically. And how? Well said. I would like to share something about Snake Eyes, which I... And I suppose all of us here on this show are actually kind of immune to. Um, my the new lady in my life, the German archaeologist, she obviously doesn't know anything about GI Joe. Uh, well, not obviously, but for our listeners' sake, she's not into GI Joe. She didn't even know it existed until she met me, and then I think she kind of regretted meeting me. But she's kind of stuck with me now. <laughs> it's early days, pal. <laughs> it's early days. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. But. Uh, yeah, she saw Snake Eyes for the first time. Jeez, oh, I just realized how dirty that sounds. Um, she saw my Snake Eyes sideshow figure. And she was like, wow, he's like really scary. And I was like, no, he's like a good guy. He's like totally awesome. She's like, no, he's really scary. And apparently in like Germany, they got like a, it's like a ring around the rosy kind of situation. Like they've got like, you know, schoolyard kind of games. And one of them is who is afraid of the man in black? And then they have to like sort of run past each other. It's probably very similar to other schoolyard games, but for them it's like the man in black, like the scary man. So she like she just related to that somehow with Snake Eyes, and and it got me thinking like I forgot how scary Snake Eyes actually is, because he is kind of scary. You know, he's not like you know, so like hey kids, I'm your neighborhood hero, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. So for those of you listening. Um, it's very easy to be desensitized to all Snake Eyes, and, and, and it's very easy to forget that he's actually freaking scary if you actually take the time to really appreciate this guy dressed in black, and, uh, you know, he's, like, tacked out in, like, all kinds of, you know, death-dealing pointy objects and shooty things and explodey things, you know, and you can't see his face, there's that air of mystery. He's damn cool, and I think that, I mean, that's the reason we love him, and I just don't ever remember ever being afraid of Snake Eyes. Ever. I never ever thought of him as a scary character. So that was a nice paradigm shift for me. I got to see it from a different perspective. So I thought I'd share that with uh, you guys and our listeners. Oh, that was good. You reminded me of something that HCC788 said in his uh, Snake Eyes version 2 review. When reflecting on the file card quote, which talks about Snake Eyes being tempered on the anvil of life, but, uh, you know... Even within his scabbard, the blade still retains its razor-sharp edge, which is basically just a cautionary note that this man is one of the most dangerous men alive. And if he was ever to have to unleash that sword, you know, there'd be a high body count. So everyone needs to be very aware that, like, he is an extremely powerful combatant, uh, mystery, you know, like basically, he's a force of nature in a way. Yeah, yeah, like it's a it's a warning that like as long as you are 
not in his crosshairs. It's all hunky-dory. But if you happen to be his target, game over, man. Well, you're you're hard-pressed to find, like, a very complex (laughs) character, but, like, simple simple aesthetic, but very complex character. You're hard-pressed to find uh, somebody more layered than uh, Snake Eyes in fiction, at least uh, popular fiction. Yeah, because, I mean, Snake Eyes in a lot of ways... Uh, and I don't want to just... I, I can't give all of the credit to Snake Eyes in this regard, but he, in a lot of the ways, he's kind of the model sheet for characters that are Snake Eyes-esque. You know, um, in fighting games, uh, in, in within the fighting games realm, we talk about a Shoto character. Like a Shoto character, basically that's any character that plays like Ryu, right? That's any character that's sort of based on Ryu's template. And Snake Eyes, I wouldn't say is the sort of defining template for his style of character, but there are so many characters that are Snake Eyes-esque, you know? So even if there was somebody more mysterious and and there was an inspiration to Snake Eyes that we may be, or that I'm sure there is an inspiration to Snake Eyes out there, um, but time has followed that character up and it hasn't endured as long as Snake Eyes has. And... You know, I show I can show a kid a snake eye. I can wear my snake eyes hoodie to the kung fu school uh, w- and with the kids, and they'll see the hood and they'll like ask me to put it on and they think it's like really really cool. That's not me. It's snake eyes. They think is cool. You know, they don't even know. Some of them don't know what GI Joe is, and many of them probably will never know what GI Joe is. But that's immediate. It's it's, it's an attractive thing to them. They think it's really awesome. So, you know, oh. that mystery and that allure comes through just in his design. This here is living, breathing. No, I think uh, it's obvious. For me, it's obvious. And I'll just start with the, the small things and then work back to what you already know. One of the coolest guns, the Uzi, uh, it has a lot of lore around it in uh, American culture. You know, you usually see it as kind of like a squeeze and spray the room and hope for the best results, but you got a ninja on oh, it. Like a and spray type of vibe, yeah. Uh, you got an exact weapon. After the Uzi, you got a sword. Uh, not my favorite sword, but it goes in a backpack, which is friggin' awesome. Um, and you, you got all those pouches, which, you know, could be anything. You got the GoPro, as we've said. Um, and beyond that, you got the lips, you got the dog. Um, and I just remember, you're talking about early Joe memories. If somebody had that figure at school, it just looked important. Like... The black plastic just radiated importance. I don't know. So version two for me. That and the fact that it was probably the most hotly pursued figure. Everyone wanted a, a version of Snake Eyes of their own. Sure, sure. The, any, the chi- any child that actually had one, that was a coveted item, man. It was. That kid was popular, and the artwork demanded you take him because it was, was cool. not popular. That kid you know? was hated and maligned. It's like. Fuck you! You got this. You're probably snake right. Eyes. Yeah, probably trying to steal yeah. it. But no. Uh, oh, true story. True fucking story. No, I, I had a V1 Snake Eyes for about a day, and I've told that story too. But uh, V2, V2. I mean, how can, can do you guys have anything else? Uh, would you not consider any modern era reinterpretations or or, or re? No. I- I think that they're. I think that the red goggles with the blue framing—that's a pretty good look. Um, really? It's not as strong as the the monochrome, so to speak. You know. Yeah, but I mean, tell me a bit about that. You say it's a pretty good look. 
Uh, well, maybe aesthetically, Paul. What 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 do you have to say? What for for Tell your me why sneakers? it's a good look, Kuja? You like you like the look of version four. In other words, it doesn't offend you. It's not snake eyes to me, though. Okay. So I I mean definitively the visor, you know, that's just old school talking. But mm. yeah, to me the other guy is a is a nice look, but it's there's only one snake eyes. <laughs> yep, that is a, a statement that definitely holds weight. I mean, it might seem like a bit of a, a truism. But, you know, we have to acknowledge that, like, version 2 is the Snake Eyes to beat. And perhaps our, our, our answers are kind of fashioned out of that, or in response to that. And that just speaks to the strength of that action figure. But, uh, Paul, you, you're, dying, you're dying to say something, I'm sure. I am dying to say something. Sorry, man. And it's to add to what you're saying. I'd almost actually say, who does G.I. Joe book think is the most definitive Snake Eyes next to version two snake eyes because i you know it's version two snake eyes everybody we've all said it it's amazing he's an iconic toy he's one of my holy grails i spent a, a good portion of my life dreaming and hoping i'd somehow get my hands on this toy until i eventually got one it relates to one of my fondest and earliest gi joe memories and it's a great toy but uh i kind of feel like you know it's also an easy choice and and I would really like to offer a, a modern era um, sort of uh, inclusion into this list, primarily because, you know, with this many versions of Snake Eyes, I think Hasbro has had, has had many opportunities to really refine this character and, and try to pull him in, in directions, uh, in, in different directions that are, are interesting, sometimes a bit hokey, um, sometimes a bit too esoteric, sometimes a little bit too generic. But we've explored it. We've actually seen what I can uh, what I can say is after 68 versions of Snake Eyes, I think we've really seen Hasbro explore <laughs> this character. I've got to say, like, it's and and this is really difficult. This is actually almost cruelty for me um, to choose uh, my definitive Snake Eyes, as many of you guys know. I suck at um, choosing just one, but I am a huge fan of the Pursuit of Cobra uh, that. The Pursuit of Cobra Ultimate Snake Eyes. I think it's a version 50. I'm just trying to make sure I get the right one here uh, while I'm looking on it because the problem is they're all dressed in black. I can never remember Yojo's actual codes. But uh, it's the one that has the two cloth straps between his legs uh, when he's wearing his full web gear. He came with the silenced pistol with the removable silencer, removable suppressor. Let's uh, rather say that. And I am just in love with the sculpt and, and the design on that toy. I think I don't think that there's a more definitive Snake Eyes for me than that because he can do everything you expect Snake Eyes to do. He's ultra posable. He is uh, fun to play with. He's got the two swappable heads. So if you're a Commando flavor fan or you're a Ninja flavor fan, you can have them both. His gimmickry is great. It's not overdone. It, it was very easy, I'm sure, to overdo his stuff. But, you know, he's just got that nice ankle sheath blade and he's got um once again the suppressed uh uh handgun and he's just fun to play with and he's yeah sure he might be finicky but i mean when when my buddy warren was over in san diego comic-con uh so many years ago this figure had actually just come out and he wanted to surprise me by getting me a gi joe toy and he got what he thought was the coolest uh gi joe out of everything he had seen there and he picked up this guy and uh 
Warren's got good taste <laughs> because I now actually own three of those snake eyes because I bought two. I bought one for another friend of mine, and now I've got one from Warren, and I got my own one. And I cannot think of a better snake eyes than this. I actually think like Hasbro hit it nail on the head. They got it down fully. It's got everything I want. Uh, and I think if you have to own a Snake Eyes, this is the one to get. Like, if you only ever own Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, um, and the vintage is maybe a little bit too vintage for you, uh, then Snake Eyes version 52, according to yojo.com, is his name, or the Pursuit of Cobra Snake Eyes. Uh, you know, take those substitutes, try and get the original carded release. It's got much better materials used in its construction. And it is a fantastic toy, which I'm sure you'll get many hours of enjoyment from. Mm. Sorry, yeah. Version 54, sorry, I do stand corrected. Version 54, not 52. Yowza. Yowza. Okay, cool. I, 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 have, I have some detractions to put on record about that figure. Please do, I, I know how you feel to some degree. So that's... It's, it's something that you almost have to take shots at because it is, it is not unassailable. Firstly, what, what head do you settle on? I'm ninja all the way. Okay, but, oh, cool. but... that's good. But it's got a good enough commando head for me to consider commando every now and then. Oh, the commando head is perfect. I love the uh, paintball. I mean, yeah, it's like a paintball mask in that it, yeah. it does have rigid elements to it. The the mouth, the breathing holes are, are particularly nice. The fact mm-hmm. that it's a two-tone, the goggle has a kind of a, a sheen. It's a gloss plastic over a slightly more matte or velvet finish for the rest of the so mask. Sexy. Perfect. So sexy, yeah. Yeah, that's why, that's why mine goes goggles. I'm a goggles kind of guy. But Snake Eyes does suffer from, and it's, it's, it's sacrilegious to say this, but like an all-black figure, it's tricky. It's, it's why out of the modern era, I, I, I tend more towards the City Strike Resolute Snake Eyes. Just because oh, it great, adds some more, yeah. it adds something different to the character. It has some visual intrigue and is forever linked to that awesome, awesome modern cartoon, which that's that's how GI Joe needs to be interpreted in in the modern era, to my mind. It's not from the movies, definitely not. It's not from the Renegades TV series. It is all resolute for me. That's how that's how my modern era GI Joe's world stacks up. So, to add some visual intrigue, they've included the Arashikage symbol on his right bicep and the new school G.I. Joe star logo on his left. And I'm pretty sure most purists will roll their eyes at at least one of those symbols, but props both of them. I know, Kujo, you do not like seeing the hexagram on a figure's exterior. You know, being proudly displayed. You're talking about this, the Rosh Kage symbol? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, as a color accent, it looks nice. I mean, I'll go with that. Yeah, but it's also rather... Well, okay, it's, it's nicely scaled in that it's realistically scaled. But it doesn't really add much in terms of color because it's not overt anyway. So we are still looking at an all-black figure and that has some problems well okay the knee pads are gray i swapped mine out for black knee pads because you know if you're gonna go all black go all black man um the straps have been pointed out as being erroneous 
there's no way a hardcore ninja commando would want loose straps floating around but they do add a kind of a an organicness to his silhouette which paul the artist i'm sure digs you know to have these sort of things hanging off him it looks like he's i don't know maybe he's just done a halo drop or something and he's still got some some loose strapping that needs sort of bustling away uh that design of snake eyes comes out of uh, an idea house called massive black uh these guys outsource concept arts and whatever for uh, AAA games and uh, big budget production films. And they were obviously commissioned by Hasbro to do some of the explorations for the characters for, uh, I think at the time, I think uh, Rise of Cobra had just come out. So I think they were focusing on uh, the second movie, uh, Retaliation, mm-hmm. uh, and, and also the video game and possibly some figure designs. And that's where that Snake Eyes 54 comes from. And if you and I believe it's Wes Burt uh, who did the concept art for that Snake Eyes. If you get to see the actual concept art, which um, I will try and source on Google and throw it up on our Facebook page, uh, or, or maybe just scan it out of the art book because I do own it, um, mm-hmm. you can see that. Wow, it's it's in, it's insanely cool to see how the concept art has come into life as a figurine. But and also what's uh, what Steven just said now, it's it's a black figure and black on black just for an artist is actually super intimidating because it's all about silhouette. Um, so how do you make this black on black on black uh, character interesting from a visual point of view? And um, Westbird nailed it. And I think the toys nailed it. But I know that there's a lot of criticism towards Snake Eyes as a toy because of all the black on black on black. I think even Sideshow tried to throw in some color accents on theirs, like some lighter grays and whatever's in their Snake Eyes design. With Snake Eyes version 52, like, you've got some great textural shifts. Yes. Yeah, you've got the the, the knitted sweater on top, which I always thought was a winning idea for Snake Eyes. You know, have something low-tech and rather nondescript as part of his uniform. Or you rather, shouldn't, or, like, or you rather, shouldn't look like Batman. Yeah. It's, it's, it's boring to have yes. this kind of muscly latex bodysuit. Neoprene feel. Yeah, I, I yeah. dig that. That's actually, that's a good point. Um, I don't want to see musculature, actually. Yeah, it's actually very natural. It's very real. Uh, guys, I would even go as far as saying 54 is better than the Sideshow figure in a lot of ways. It really is. Sorry, Sideshow guys, you did a great job on Sideshow Snake Eyes the second time round, but somehow the little three and three quarter inch figure is still better. <laughs> In terms of gear, like, you're not left wanting. Hopefully you've managed to pick up a timber some other way, because that is literally the only thing that, that this Snake Eyes lacks. And it's not for lack of trying. I, I don't think they could have crammed any more plastic onto that bubble. <laughs> like, he's got he's got the classic bomb satchel he's got the well slightly oversized but like it, it's a mongrel looking sword that the, the falcon oh the it's, falcon yeah it's more swoopy it's more it's longer it's more like a i don't know like a long sword um but than it's cool because his... it's oh it is it's cool. a rep- yeah it's a replica of the uh one of a that, replica uh, yeah the museum <laughs> replicas oh yeah okay but um, Museum Replicas did uh, one-to-one scale Swords for Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. And it's so nice to have the miniature 1 to 18 scale or 3 3 quarter inch scale version of that sword when you've actually got the one-to-one scale sword in your house. Hmm. I'm weird like that, and I think it's cool. 
It's got but Hasbro's it best offering to date uh, in terms of Uzi. And did you know that the Uzi accepts the silencer that the pistol also uses? Yes, it's a very nice little Easter egg. Great. Um, yeah, if you guys don't know he can it. Sheath, he can sheath his sword in a scabbard on his uh, lower back and his upper back. Yeah. So he can double park. <laughs> I had some trouble with the hands on mine. The additional uh, joint in the hands make his palms quite meaty. So I swapped out my hands with the uh, the Paris Pursuit version from Rise of Cobra, Snake Eyes. Those are some good hands. They lack the additional articulation, but they're really dainty and really cool, nice textured gloved hands. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember when you first got this figure, um, I know that you were going through a, and I don't want to say hate, you were just a little bit despondent with modern era figures at that point uh, i think it was becoming a little bit uh, uh dude uh, to try and paraphrase what i felt you were getting at was that it was just becoming too much um and you sort of preferred the sort of it, it was about which is the most ultimate figure now which is funny because you know we're talking about this on the show now but I mean, for you, the ultimate version of that figure is always the vintage figure. And I think that's when you were starting to hit that realization. And I remember that you were complaining. Complaining is a very harsh word, actually. But uh, no, I was complaining. Look, Paul, I mean... Yeah, the wrists weren't your favorite thing in the world. Yeah, well, to save yeah. the, the efforts, I mean, I think the, the wall that I was hitting was the fact that I was having to rebuy characters not even every year, like sometimes twice a year, because... Oh, well, that's the better version of Duke than the one that currently sits on my shelf. I better get that one. Or, you know, this Snake Eyes is shit hot. Everyone loves it. I guess he bumps out the other version of Snake Eyes that I had fallen in love with before. You know? Yeah. This guy immediately made Resolute Snake Eyes redundant. And almost out of reaction to that, I favor Resolute Snake Eyes over this ultimate snake eyes uh in the modern era as a result i'm like no actually i like the fact that the other one was doing different stuff yeah it wasn't trying to be the ultimate snake eyes it was trying to be an earnest representation of a snake eyes from a winning property and if i'm playing out that cool like squirrel suit insertion there's only one snake eyes i want to do that with Anyways, yeah. I, I feel like I've almost contradicted myself a number of times because I, I, I do not like um, Snake Eyes with overt musculature and that Resolute Snake Eyes does. And it's not true to the animation. So maybe I need to dock some points there. But guys, really, this debate doesn't even enter the modern era for me. It can't. It can't. As far as a definitive Snake Eyes is concerned, you have to take it way back to the source material, where the very definition of definitiveness was being defined. Hyperbole! <laughs> and, and the war that I've waged in my mind, not only in the lead-up to this discussion, but, like, in my life, is which version of Snake Eyes... Do I take down off the shelf first? V2 or V3? Uh-oh. Ah. And my life is so much simpler than yours when it comes to that. 
Well, if you can only avoid it for so long. Please, can someone get Paul a V3 snake eyes? Please, somebody, anybody. I've got V3 snake eyes. Oh. The, oh. Uh, also one of the butterfly knives on his chest. What don't you have then? I don't have version one. I don't have the original Commando 84. Yeah, well. 83. <laughs> 82 you mean but uh yeah, but the 83 is the swivel arm battle group release maybe maybe skype's uh to blame but i think you missed out the fact that i'm comparing version 2 and version 3 so, so I'm, I'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave v1 and v1.5 out of this it's okay. basically down between visor snake eyes from 1985 with timber and goggles butterfly knives or not butterfly knives, trench knife, snake eyes, from 1989. Yeah, dude. Wow. Uh, that's like me choosing between the Holy Grail, the pursuit of my childhood, the Moby Dick, or the actual childhood. Because the one I had as a kid, like I, yeah. I got to enjoy version 3 as a kid. That was, that was like, I was like, who's this mysterious man? I didn't even know... <laughs> Version 5 existed until I met David. Like, it, it was like a, a, no, a non-entity for me. Well, Paul, we tell a similar story. I mean, you and I are both from the same part of the world. We're both more or less the same age. And a V2 Snake Eyes was the stuff of legend for me as well. He appeared on one card back that I possessed. And I was, I mean, it's Snake Eyes, but he's got a dog. And I can't see how he sees out of that mask and he's pointing at me a tiny little pick <laughs> that <laughs> tiny little pick i poured over that pick i was like this is not a snake eyes that i've ever had any cognizant awareness of it hasn't appeared yeah. on pegs it hasn't appeared in catalogs i don't know what this figure looks like i can't imagine it but it looks badass and it's called snake eyes it must be the be all and end all i guess i'll never i'll never know this figure v3 was obviously far more accessible and mm. so accessible that i mean kujo you said that uh anyone who had snake eyes you probably would steal that figure well i'm convinced someone did i got that snake eyes in christmas of 1990 and i enjoyed it thoroughly for perhaps that holiday and that was it because i'm pretty sure Somewhere in January of 1991, someone came around to the house and we were playing G.I. Joe and that someone made off with my snake eyes. Either that or I was just playing with him so much I got careless and left him at, uh, in the cousin's backyard or something. That's totally believable, man. You're not going to get careless with snake eyes. You know somebody put it in their pocket and then just <laughs> friggin' ran away. Yeah, I was a meticulous kid, but then again, I was not a meticulous kid. I don't know. I think I, I kind of sometimes my battles became so all-consuming, I lost track of which Joe was being hidden in which tree. <laughs> and then it was, and then it was home time, and then passed me by. I think you just helped me pick my Joe memory. <laughs> Trees and Joes. So. I actually got more methodical about this debate than I've ever been on this show ever. I took these two figures, put them side by side, took a snapshot, and then just started jotting down who won in what category. In backpack, in blade, in Uzi, in miscellaneous, 
that being the sort of the bonus round on the one side you've got timber on the other side you've got a blowgun and a three-section staff or the japanese term which is a sanjigun is that correct paul for what the three-sectional staff tri-sectional staff yeah, the Chinese term, I should say. Let me get that. Yeah, that, that is actually Sanji Gun. Yeah, Gun is tough. Yeah, Sanji Gun, that's correct. Yeah, very, that's very awesome. good. Awesome. Well, well I have Google to thank on that one, buddy. <laughs> and Form Beings oh. 257. He also Yo, Google Foo is strong, bro. <laughs> what the? I, I took a snapshot and sent it to my buddy Alistair uh, and, and, and asked his honest opinion. And. <laughs> His answer was a sort of a, a mishmash. Alistair says that he would pick the V2 figure, the V3 backpack, the V3 sword, the V3 gun, and then V2's wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so he was about as helpful as an asshole on my elbow. <laughs> <laughs> So I went through it methodically, guys. Do you want to hear all my points for and against? Or should I just cut to the chase? I think let's get the cliff notes on that one. I like it. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe our Patreon subscribers can uh, subscribe to get your <laughs> yeah. all <this>. Patreon exclusive, <laughs> guys. Snake eyes details. Okay, well, okay. Uh, then I won't go through the criteria, but in backpack, I prefer version 3. No, I have to give the criteria, guys. I'll do it quickly, though. Yeah, of course you will. In backpack, I prefer the narrower approach of V3. It's more appropriate for a commander to have a, 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 a narrower backpack. It also has lovely sculpted details. The two climbing claws. It has a great synergy with the blowgun because you've got 13 blow darts actually on the surface of the backpack it's absolutely loaded with details v2's backpack seems almost nondescript uh, by comparison of course it's not yeah. nondescript it has a, a sword sheath and it's in black you know i wonder who that could be for but uh i think v3 ups the ante just a little bit with shuriken's bedroll cord you didn't have to use your imagination so much as to what snake eyes was carrying and also left the interior of the bag for Stuff that you couldn't see, like Semtex. <laughs> yeah. In Blade, I went with V2. Oh, man. This was tough. This was yeah. tough. It was really Oof. tough. But uh, there's just a mystique to that very finely detailed, smaller sword that is just so gorgeous. As it stands, the V3 Blade was something that actually I retained from my missing snake eyes. And as a result, any cool Kung Fu character that I happened to be playing with would use that sword. So I've got a lot of history with that sword. But let me assure you, if I had V2's sword, it would have totally eclipsed V3's sword. Uh, uh, that would have been the go-to sword instead. And also it's black. It has very sharp pointy edges. It, it almost looks like it shouldn't be a child's toy. <laughs> but it is. With Uzi, I went with V3. It's got a suppression system. That ups the ante. Whether it's just a flash suppressor or actually a fully, you know, suppressor, suppressor, that makes a lot of sense for Snake Eyes. This was an era when... The Trace Buster getting... Buster. <laughs> this is an era where guns started getting a little bit oversized and 
while this Uzi is larger, definitely larger than the V2, um, it does not get oversized. It's a nice proportion, I'd say. It looks meaty. Uh, while I really love finely sculpted, finely molded guns like the V2 Uzi, I mean, it's the prime example of like exactly how shit hot the line was at its very outset. I mean, this Uzi had seen use albeit in a slightly different form uh, with Steeler in 82, with Snake Eyes in 82. The V2 Uzi is so, so slightly modified from that. You might even not even call it a different version. But it is so fine that it sometimes is odd in the figure's hands. You know, if his hands are stretched, it's going to not fit snugly. You're going to have to put some some something sticky to hold it in place naturally and if the ha- figures fingers aren't stretched adequately it's going to kind of be held at a, a bit of an odd angle so yeah there are some challenges to to realistically manipulating that gun unfortunately um, so the larger size of v3 works in its favor it has a bit more detail it has a silencer and a trigger guard i didn't like the color but that's not going to put me off at this point. Um, it's it's going to win. <laughs> the bonus round, I can't honestly say which I like more. Timber adds to the mythology, but I wasn't a big a- animal companion guy. Uh, the blowgun and the three-section staff were so unique. There was nothing in the line before them. There was nothing in the line after them. Um, and I mainly speak about the three-section staff because the blowgun... I challenge anyone out there to get an O-ringer to realistically hold this blowgun up to their lips. Can't be done. Can't be that done. That should have been the topic of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 129. How many takedowns in your playtime did you have with the blowgun? Were you a big, like, sneaky blowgun guy? Uh, I could probably count them on two hands, but the number of takedowns I made with the three-section staff... I mean, that weapon is so kinetically fun, even if you're just twirling it in your own mitts. You know, you don't have to put it in the action figure's hand to have cool fun with it. But my goodness, man, I sort of just mime that it's in his hand and I roll it between my thumb and forefinger. And that is just a flailing weapon of mass or minor destruction. I mean, it is just like... You set up all your Cobra ninja figures or martial arts figures in a room, have Snake Eyes whip through there with that thing and knock them down. It's just, oh man, it's the best. It's all the fun games until that thing wraps you on the knuckles. Okay, one at a time, please. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. I just said, did somebody say trisectional stuff? And then he comes in and does his thing. Yeah. It's all fun and games until someone hits you. And then, well, to that I say, Cujo, it's actually made of plastic and it's super lightweight. So I I love don't I love nunchucks. I do love hey, nunchucks, and I love staffs. But do you love them more than a Timberwolf? Hmm. hmm. Well, it, it. I mean, what do you guys think? The sculpt doesn't inspire a lot of action because, like, it's just too straightforward almost. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I've always thought he was a sneaky-looking badass. 
Um, but before we go into there, I, I, I think maybe this is something we should do for YouTube uh, when Steve comes up here. I, n- I don't even think Steve knows I have this. I made a, a trisectional staff uh, for practice. I made a practice one. So it's actually, co- uh, it's uh, it's made out of softer material. Polystyrene. No, no, not that soft. <laughs> um, I've made it out of uh, conduit conduit pipe and um, sort of like foam tube that goes on the outside. So if you do hit yourself in the nuts, it's still sore, but it's not crippling. And uh, yeah, if you love nunchucks and you love the stuff, then I think you should watch Paul and Steven try trisectional stuff. <laughs> and uh, I'll show him some of the basics and then we will, we will have fun with it in the park on camera. Okay. You've just committed us to that. All right. All right. But on to the main event. I mean, those are just the appetizers. Uh, and I think it's it's a pretty even keel in terms of accessories. But the figure itself, in terms of their matchups uh, as definitive sculpts, I prefer gray paint, paint applications to silver paint applications. I feel like the V3 has silver just because V2 had gray and it had to differentiate itself. So it's almost unfair to put V2 over V3 in that regard, but I did. So advantage V2. It's my podcast. I'll do what I want to. (laughs) Version 2 also introduces a third color to the figure, whereas Snake Eyes version 1 had one plastic color, no paint. V2 has gray for its accents, and then there's a little sexy splash of silver to bring out a very cool sculpt detail on his wrist. That being the sort of dart launcher. Mm-hmm. Nice touch. <laughs> Just like Boba Fett callback. Yeah, and, and another nice touch is that V2 has a, a sculpted sidearm. That's cool. That's something that V3 lacks. But now we get into the areas where... I just think V3 sweeps the board, unfortunately. I'm not a fan of the ankle pouches on V2. It's very Rob Liefeld. Contrast that with the badass combat boots with knee pads of V3. You know that Snake Eyes means business. It has less of a superhero aesthetic and more of a I am strapped to the nines to deal death. Yeah. And as a result, he's got texture. He's got texture on his upper body. Uh, it's sort of a mesh. And there are clips, and there's a you can see where the mesh jacket kind of velcros or zips. There's a flap that runs. You can just see it just below his trench knives. Uh, the flap is, is very present. Uh, you can definitely see the texture on the back and the crisscrossing straps. I mean, V2 is kind of... As I say, superheroic. You can definitely make out a lot of musculature, and you know I'm not a fan of that. I was gonna say, isn't the version three of Snake Eyes based on? It's like a revenge. Uh, that whole outfit is like a revenge thing, because. Oh, uh, don't get me started, man. I was gonna leave this for lost so that I could twist the knife into version three. But yes, in terms of origin story, this has the unfortunate backstory of being uh, equipment that Snake Eyes basically repurposed. 
he stole the mask from this gimp looking dude the pants from another dude and the crisscrossing knives from another so it's got a pretty arbitrary backstory for you know for this to become snake eyes's like look for the next couple of issues it was very arbitrary that he pulled it together from people who were basically torturing him and i'm not a fan of that i'd like to think that actually no this was snake eyes's you know custom outfitted like even down to his gauntlets he's got these well they look like silver bracelets but they're 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 forearm guards for you know if he gets into any kind of knife combat he's got a little bit of protection on his forearms because you know if you're going at someone with a knife you're going to your forearms are going to get slashed yeah (laughs) run away yeah snake eyes don't run away he's got two badass trench knives on his on his chest well those but those are butterfly knives but anyway let me not correct you i know that they he collects trench knives but on his chest they're actually butterfly knives Mm, and they even look like a pretty butterfly (laughs) it's a wing chun weapon it's a very cool weapon it's something i hope i get to learn something that he uses to dice through cobra operatives when he re-enters the bombed out cobra consulate building I mean, that's that's something that's burned into my memory when it comes to this V3 look. He's he's just slicing night creepers and vipers and, you know, he's just basically dicing Cobra operatives left, right and center until he actually is face-to-face with Cobra Commander and puts one of those butterfly knives to the, the hoodie Coco's throat. Mm. And he has that incredible, like, furrowed brow on his you know, ex- expression. Was that Andrew Wildman on pencils back then? Anyways, it was, yeah, it, that's that's going to stay with me forever. What more is there to say? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, it comes as um, a surprise to me especially that V3 has outdone the perhaps more overtly definitive V2. But I guess at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I'm a goggles guy and I got no love for the lips. <laughs> well, if I had to guess, I would say that Hama probably prefers V2 visually because the redesign on Snake Eyes, she still has the visor, you know? I think that's a, that's a re- response to what fans want. Larry Hama at his core is a guy who just wants to please his readership. And nothing screams Snake Eyes more than that very unique, you know, goggles or goggles or goggles. Like, I don't think if a female recasting of Snake Eyes is going to necessarily have an immediate signifier if it didn't have the medieval visor. Yeah, that's true. Goodness gracious me. So it's V2 for Cujo. It's V54 for Paul. <laughs> and V3 for Steve. All right. Well, I think we've got a good spread, guys. These are some pretty unassailable versions. Yeah, I think there's three fantastic Snake Eyes figures you you can, you get to own out of, what, 68 or something ridiculous? That's excluding Sideshow and Hot Toys, etc. And the statues, of course. So I think our listenership, I mean, you know, with that many Snake Eyes figures, I don't think you can own just one. So now you have three to choose from, courtesy of G.I. Joburg, and they are hands down the best. The absolute best, the cream of the crop, par excellence. Hmm. Gentlemen, I think 
our listeners are tired of hearing us. What do you guys think? Is there something you guys want to throw in before we run away? I think you don't know the listenership well enough, Paul. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got people bending my ear saying they wish our podcasts were longer. <laughs> I guess, guys, this is the, the function of a G.I. Joe or toy-related podcast. Uh, I know I feel it when I'm sitting in my room tinkering with some toys on a weekend or when I've got some time to myself, I want to fill the silence with the voices of some friends just talking shit about toys. Either that or if I'm, you know, in the gym working out or uh, <laughs> on my daily commute to work. Don't listen to us while you're lifting, please. <laughs> well, yeah, I sometimes have to stop myself because I'm laughing too damn hard and people are looking. But I, I like to think of these chats as perfect accompaniments to when you are enjoying your time with your toys. I mean, in this kind of day and age, we don't often get to do that activity with close friends anymore yeah. so a few of us have kept the, the 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 torches burning and we're all separated by you know interminable distances but that's where we come in so yeah like i say i hope that you have us on just in the background filling your ears with talk of toys that you can kind of tune into and tune out of as 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 you as you wish um, yeah. While you sit there messing with uh, your new crusader. Hey, Gary. Awesome. Yeah, that was very cool to see. Well, let me do something of a, a long walk away and paying honor to our original format. I think these conversations do run the gamut. And I'm sorry if I bring negative vibes. Uh, nothing but love from Southern California as well as South Africa, I imagine. Uh, I think my earliest Joe memories... Like, my folks did not want me sitting still in the daytime. The only time I got to play toys was at night when everybody was asleep. That's why you got Cujo the Night Owl. <laughs> Agent of Cobra. Yeah. But I used to have a, a sun a sunroof slash moonroof at night. And it was originally it was Cobra Commander and Cobra Officer just talking to each other at night. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Um, it, was, it was a good question, Stephen. Wow. What kind of discourse did they have? That's a long reach, brother. Yeah. No, I think, like, I, th I heard somebody say it on the uh, Joe Con file cards, uh, the daughter of somebody that was at the con. She said that G.I. Joe, for to her dad, was kind of like Avatar, so he could work through some issues that he was uh, handling as a kid. I, I hear that. I hear that. What I was speaking on earlier, the interesting thing about G.I. Joe is we have many perspectives in one, in one, I'm not going to call it community, but uh, people that enjoy something together. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. This is life. Deal with it. There, there's many respectful tweeters on, on both sides. Uh, anyway, so I raise a glass to the community as a whole, and the future of comics is bright um, from where I'm standing. So, good times. So, Cooch, sorry, so you had, like, who? Cobra, uh, a Cobra officer and a who? Well, my Cobra first Commander. two figures was Silverface oh, and Cobra officer. So, Cobra Commander was like, hey, Cobra officer, do you ever mix the drinks? Well, actually... Is that, is that, that the kind of... No. <laughs> that joke leads me to uh, mentioning Magnus. Magnus, right? 
um, yeah. from the Lego guy. I used to mix Legos in with Joe. And one thing, I'm sorry I missed that conversation, Magnus. It was a pleasure to meet you in D.C. Uh, what an incredible pizza dinner that one night. The, the ambience was incredible. Um, but uh, Magnus is yet another really smart Joe fan. I mean, the dude builds things with bricks, and he knows G.I. Joe forward and back. So I salute you, brother. It was a pleasure. Seeing as we're talking about uh, oldest G.I. Joe memories, I, w- I want to say this is like, I think my earliest G.I. Joe memory that I can I can actually think of and is like opening up my sci-fi figurine, opening up the packaging, and then like sort of being upset because I think there were instructions behind him on how to insert the pipes on whatever. I remember being kind of annoyed and then having to try and figure that out by myself because I like instructions, they're cool. But, like, that's an early one. But, like, a really good one for me uh, would be finding Ambush. Uh, like, there hadn't be, I hadn't seen G.I. Joe in the shops for, like, a little bit. Maybe it was a few months or something. Or maybe I just hadn't been around toy shops for a while. And in CNA and Cresta, they had a whole bunch of G.I. Joes. And there were kids, like, crowding it. And they were really excited. And I don't know why, but I felt this, like, intense need to pick up the G.I. Joe that was the most army-looking and I remember grabbing Ambush, and I was so excited with this toy because he just looked like he had so much stuff going for him, and that whole camouflage thing was, like, really interesting to my mind. It, it was, like, it boggled my brain. And I was really disciplined because I remember not wanting to open it in the car because I didn't want to lose any of the parts uh, when I got home, and I and I, I was very good about it. I didn't, and I could I just couldn't wait to get home to, to like, put him in the grass, <laughs> you know? And I put all of his stuff on him. And I remember like also being kind of confused as to how to do that. I think I was five years old. So I didn't have a, like a full grasp on how to like sort of handle all of that, all of his stuff. I might have been older, maybe seven. I don't know. But uh, that was just such a cool memory. And I think that's why I've been, I was so hard up on such a mission to get like ambushed when I was at JoeCon. Because I really just wanted that figure back in my life again. And I mean, I still got the parts of my original one, of that one I picked up all those years ago. And this is before I met my buddy David and before I really got into that side of the G.I. Joe fandom. So that that would be one of my earliest, probably my, yeah, that's my, my earliest G.I. Joe memory after opening uh, Sci-Fi's packaging. Yeah, I didn't do anything cool like sit under my sunroof or anything, Cujo, and talk about mixing drinks at the, at the Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. But, you know... <laughs> Cool, no, I like that. I like that. Steve, anything you got to share, Brad? But uh, <clears throat> anything you got to share? Voice not breaking. Ah, <laughs> uh, you've heard me enough. I I could save it for another time. I I do want to probe you a little bit deeper, look, Cooch. I've been doing my homework on you, if you can believe that. Trawling the tapes for information on this enigma called Cujo. Go for it, brother. Dude, once upon a time, you said that you had a very vivid memory of unpackaging torpedo and he was your first gi joe character mm. you did it uh you were in the sort of the back seat of the car mm-hmm. okay well i just wanted to kind of mention that that you did actually get a gi joe figure w- once at least but uh mm-hmm. to follow up on that you actually said that your friend collected gi joe you collected cobra were all of your playtimes adversarial as a result did you never team up to defeat 
the threat, the enemy, whichever side that might be? No, I mean, we were pretty, we were pretty maverick. It was usually, we took our squads, we didn't necessarily, uh, we mixed up the people uh, for the most part. I did, so, I mean, this is not going to make sense, but, like, I had a lot of figure purges. Um, so, like, the figures I had, I, I didn't keep them for too long. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say why that is. But, yeah, Torpedo was uh, uh, an icebreaker to a different iteration, yeah. <laughs> well, not too much of an icebreaker since he is a masked G.I. Joe. I guess you could play him as, as pretty much anything then. Oh, uh, I got so many stories. Uh, we probably don't have enough conversations, but hopefully we'll get to them. Aww. You always love to leave us hanging like that, buddy. That's show business, baby. My earliest G.I. Joe memory, I had three G.I. Joes. I can't decide which one came first. Maybe I got them all at the same time. I have no memory of uncarding them, which is why I'm super impressed that you do, Paul. You actually remember taking sci-fi out of his package and being pissed off with yourself for ripping up the instructions. I don't know if there were instructions back in 86, but in any case... Yeah, false. <laughs> I had, in no particular order, Lifeline, Monkey Wrench, and Iceberg. Iceberg's outfit was so suggestive to me because I had never experienced snow and I had some concept of what snow was and I knew that this figure clearly was meant to operate in the snow. I knew Monkey Wrench was a bad guy. So I think at about age four or five, I was lying on my bed with my eyes kind of tightly, I suppose, you know, slitted pretending there was some kind of blizzard condition going on. Basically having this kind of cat and mouse game between Monkey Wrench and Iceberg. Iceberg was trying to track him down using his footprints in the snow, but the footprints were quickly being erased or eroded. And Monkey Wrench was busy backtracking around to, uh, to ambush Iceberg. And I just remember this particular play pattern being so intriguing to me because it was not overt it was all about strategy and it was tense you know i really enjoyed games that weren't just you know all guns blazing but more a case of like outwitting your opponent and that's something that i, I mean maybe i've embellished it maybe i can't trust my own memory but i'd like to think that this is a treasured memory because I've often revisited it in my mind, and I, I hope I haven't um, corrupted it too much with my adult brain, which is the purity of enjoying that, like, trudging through the snow. You know, it's like, it was like a, I don't know, a trial in and of itself just to get through this environment. I was imagining what cold was like and what, you know, loose ground would be feeling like. These are things that my four or five year old's imagination had no actual experience of. Yeah, you don't have any cognitive, like, sort of, you know, reconnect. Yeah, nothing, nothing to draw on. Nothing to draw on. No snow. No snow in Africa, man. Ah. Give it ladies time. and gentlemen, I think uh, that little nostalgia blast brings us to the conclusion of episode 128 of G.I. Joburg. I thank you all for. Uh, joining us on this adventure do not hesitate 
if you are listening to this and uh, it's not too soon after we've released it, i.e. five days within release, the poll will still be active. Hit us up on our G.I. Joeberg Facebook group. If you're not a member already, there's a very easy question and, uh, and you're in. Assuming I'm not asleep. <laughs> Time zones. So if, if I don't get round to accepting your, your asking to join uh, in, in good time, I apologize. Alternatively, head straight to Twitter. It's a perfectly public forum. Follow us. Check us out. Check out our poll. Indeed. Uh, always hit me up on Twitter, as I've said. That's where you can find me. I will not rebuff any tweets, uh, however colorful. Art is about making cool shit, not criticizing other people for the shit that they make because it disagrees with the shit that you make. And open that can of worms, brother. Whatever, Paul. <laughs> and in saying that, remember you have 60 or so odd snake eyes to choose from, and we have given you three good ones to buy, so you should be on eBay looking for your next snake eyes purchase. <laughs> While you listen to our smooth yet sexy voices. <laughs> and the 3,000 of you that download all of our current podcasts on Podbean, be sure to download episode 69 so that I can find out that you are actually real people and not robots. Thank you. With that said, I think we have to call in the Tomahawk to get us out of here. Goodbye, everyone. Get to the chopper, Snake Eyes! Get to the chopper! What about Timber? She's still on the other side of my apartment. Oh no. Gotta rescue her from under the table. Yeah, she's dogged down, man. She's on the side. Oh, shut up and go hang out with your girlfriend, Paul. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye, you sexy people.